Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, the Associate Worship Arts Pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church. We're continuing in our series, One Voice, with today's sermon from Pastor Jason. He'll be teaching from Matthew 22, and we'll be looking at our first four core values here at Rolling Hills. Love, reach, grow, and minister, and what those mean for our lives as believers. Now, here's Jason. Well, every so often as a pastor, there's a message that just burns in your heart, a message that you look forward to speaking about and sharing any opportunity that you have. It's the type of message that you have trouble sleeping on Saturday night before Sunday because you're so excited about the content. And today, it certainly falls under that category. If, in fact, if I were to have just kind of one topic that I could speak about one more time, it would be this topic because I think that we so desperately need it right now in our world. We so desperately need it in our society, and we are people who are struggling, and we face things, and I see things, and I hear conversations, and I'm invited into conversations, and I believe that God is wanting us to learn more about what He said in the situations that we're going to find ourselves in where it's going to be really easy for us to not be loving people. But yet, this morning, what God is impressing upon my heart is through His Word, this amazing content that comes from His Word that the most important thing that you and I can do with our lives is to be people who love God and love other people. You're going to see it here in just a minute, but when Jesus was questioned about what really matters in life, This was what he said. When he said what your life should really look like, what your life should really be measured by, is how you grow in love for God and how you grow in love for other people. So our main passage of Scripture today comes as this dialogue. It's a dialogue between Jesus and a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And it's in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. If you want to follow along with us on these screens, maybe you have a copy of God's Word. You have a mobile device that you can hop online and follow along with us. But Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40 are this amazing little snapshot of this moment where Jesus is teaching religious leaders, and I think there's something in it for us today. So why don't you follow along with me as we read, starting in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them an expert in the law, and he tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the commandments, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this powerful word. Thank you for this amazing scripture that we see about what really matters in life, about what really is important and about where we should be putting our time and our energy and our focus. I pray that these words today would strengthen us and would encourage us and would give us insight into the life that you have called us to live. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and that we ask all of these things. Amen. Now, the subject heading of my Bible notes that these seven verses are called the Great Commandment. And maybe you have a subject heading that would say something similar to that. What does that mean? It means that out of everything Jesus could have said was the greatest commandment. This is what he chose, that this is what is the answer to the question of what really matters most in life. What is the most important rule, if you will, that I should seek to follow? Simply put, Jesus says the answer to that question, the absolute greatest commandment for you to follow is twofold. One is to love God with all of you and to love other people with all of you as well. 
And we've been talking about our church, and we've been talking about our mission and our vision as a church for the past couple of weeks as we've been in this series called One Voice. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of the core values of Rolling Hills, the things that we want you to be passionate about as someone who calls Rolling Hills home. And one of those things is we want you to be people who grow in love, who grow in depthfulness, who grow in knowledge, who seek to serve. And all of those things fall under this umbrella of love. And so I'm praying that you catch some vision today. And catch some clarity and maybe some understanding about how God is wanting to yearn or yearning to grow you in some of these areas. Now, like any passage of Scripture, there's a backstory. There's some context that if you understand it, it makes the Scriptures become even more alive and even opens your eyes to some additional things that you may have not noticed by just reading it. And so if you'll scroll back with me a couple verses to Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, you see that this greatest commandment comes as kind of, it's the third time that the religious leaders have been trying to put Jesus in a precarious situation. They've been trying to test Jesus. They've been trying to ask a question that Jesus isn't going to know the answer to. And so in verses 15 through 22, in summary, the Pharisees get together and they plan to try to trap Jesus in his word. And you know what topic they choose? One that has always caused strife, division, and we don't like it. It's called taxes. Isn't it interesting? I mean, the strife that we feel over taxes right now was a first century problem as well. And so the Pharisees get together and they say to Jesus, should we pay taxes to the government? And Jesus, being the great rabbi, the great teacher says, bring me one of your coins. And they bring him a coin and he looks at the coin and he says, whose inscription is on the coin? And they say, Caesar. He says, whose picture is on the coin? And they say, Caesar. He says, who's basically in charge of the government of the day? Caesar. Well, pay Caesar taxes. Case closed. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God's. On the exact same day, look at verses 23 through 33. The exact same day, Jesus can't get a break from the religious leaders. The exact same day, the Sadducees come. Now, what you need to know about the Sadducees is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. That was their biggest issue with Jesus. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so that was very sad, you see. Did you guys catch what I did there? It's very sad, you see the best way to remember the uh, Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they live a very sad life. It's very sad, you see. So they come to Jesus with a question, and they come with a bunch of hypothetical questions, and their centers around Mosaic law, and if a woman is married and her husband dies, Mosaic law says that the next oldest brother of the widower would marry the, the bride that lost her husband, and so then they say, let's just say that that happens, and then he dies, And then let's just say that then the third brother marries her and he dies and so forth and so on. We go all the way through that this woman has now married seven brothers in order of succession and they have all died. I think if I'm brother number seven that has seen what happened to my older six brothers, I'm going to ask for some exception to Mosaic law. Like, is there, do I really have to follow through with what the Old Testament law says? But it's a hypothetical situation. And the Sadducees are trying to say, we bet we're going to catch Jesus in this one. So Jesus... She's been married seven times in heaven. Who is she going to be married to? And Jesus comes back very simply and says, in the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given in marriage. And the Sadducees pull back. Isn't it interesting that they ask Jesus like 14 paragraphs of questions and Jesus answers with two or three sentences? There's something to be learned there. Just take that for what it's worth. That sometimes less is more. You know, sometimes it's just you're never going to outwit someone else or out-argue someone else. And so, but like a 3 a.m. infomercial, wait, there's more. The same day, the Pharisees come back. 
And they, they choose to elect one of the smartest one among them. And so they say, let's find the smartest lawyer in our group. We'll name him Ronald. I mean, Ronald sounds like a good lawyer name, right? I mean, he's like the smartest lawyer. And so they say, Ronald, we are now pinning all of our hopes on you. You've got to go ask Jesus a question that he's not going to know how to answer. We're going to back Jesus into a corner. We're going to use him as the example. And Ronald rehearses all 600 plus laws from the Old Testament that they were supposed to be following. And so he comes and he has this question for Jesus. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment then? Of all the things that we should be passionate about, what is the greatest commandment? Fully prepared to cause Jesus strife and tension because how could Jesus pick just one? Can't you imagine the expert of the law kind of crossing his arms and saying, we've got Jesus, we caught him up. And Jesus replies in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus did not come back to the expert in the law with a bunch of hypothetical situations. He didn't come back with an answer that was based on some specific task. He didn't come back with one specific rule, one specific legalistic rule that you would have to follow. But rather, he says, if you really want to know the most important things that you should follow, then that would be to love God and love other people. And what is Jesus doing here? He is hitting at the condition of the Pharisees' heart. And he is really hitting at the condition that they were struggling with. And I think he's hitting at the condition of our hearts here as well. Because he knew how much we were going to struggle with loving other people. And how much we were going to struggle with making God the priority and everybody else the secondary priority. But in that order. And Jesus says the best rule for living is not a rule. The best rule for living is not some legalistic crossing of the T and dotting of an I, but rather an action of the heart. Now, what did the Pharisees struggle with? Actions of the heart that were rooted in love. Go with me to chapter 23. Just go over a few verses. Look at what Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, and they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. He says the Pharisees are kind of defined by they like to talk a big game, but they don't practice what they preach. They like to say this is important, but they don't actually follow through with what they say is important. They say you should be passionate about this, everybody who hears it, Now, I'm not going to do that myself. I'm going to tie a really cumbersome weight around your neck that's going to hold you down, it's going to hold you captive and hold you in bondage, because if I do that, then I'm going to be perceived as better than you. And so this was kind of the agenda of the Pharisees. Jesus says, they talked a big game, but they didn't follow through with what they should practice. And Jesus says, I have a better way. I have a more true way. I have a purer way for you to live. It's kind of like if you were to ask me to help you move. Let's just say, for example, that you asked me to help you move. Now, consequently, only ask really close people in your life to help you move. Because, I mean, that's not something for acquaintances. That's something for, like, people who are really with you. I mean, they're really your friends if they're going to help you move. And let's just say, for example, that I, I, I say yes to helping you move. And this actually did happen to me one time. I showed up early at a friend's house to help them move, and when I walked into their house, not a single box was packed. And I thought to myself, okay, I said yes to helping you move. 
I didn't say yes to helping you pack knickknacks in a box to then move. Big difference between that, but I love the person, and so I dug deep, I prayed, we got through it, and, you know, the move was successful. Now, how about this one? This has never happened to me. This is a hypothetical. What about, let's just say, for example, I ask you to help me move, and on the morning that you show up to help me move, my family and I have just conveniently decided to go to the beach, and we've just left you in charge of all of the packing and all of the moving. You go ahead and pack my boxes. See, you're not helping me move. You are a moving company that's working for free. At that moment and time, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I want you to be really careful when you look at the Pharisees as the example, because what are they doing? They're saying something, and they're not following through. They're saying, this is what you should do. This is how you help. This is what life really, really looks like. Now, we're just not going to do that ourselves, but you should follow our example. There was a disconnect between what they were saying and what they were doing, and what that disconnect was leading to was hypocrisy. Have you noticed in life that if there's a disconnect between what I say is important and what I actually do, what is the word that you use to describe me? A hypocrite. When you say that something is really important to you and your actions don't match up with it, you're opening yourself up to be viewed in a hypocritical nature. And Jesus is saying, I have a better way because the way of love is not the way of hypocrisy. And Jesus wanted you and I as Christ followers. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, Jesus says, I have a truer way, a better way for you. You see this here in your notes. I'd like to give you some blanks that you can fill in. Maybe you can take these with you and you can kind of refer back to them at some point later in the week. But you see there on the first point is that Jesus' issue with the religious leaders had little to do with their knowledge, but a lot to do with their lack of fruit. Jesus' issue with the religious leaders had little to do with their knowledge, but a lot to do with their lack of fruit. Because if more knowledge had been the answer, the Pharisees would have been used as the example to follow. If legalistic rules was the answer, the Sadducees would have been the poster children for how you should act. If more legalism was really what was needed in the church, then Jesus would have said, follow the example of the Pharisees who say one thing but aren't willing to follow through with it. Jesus says, "Hmm, not so much. Hence why when the expert of the law said, what is the most important action? Jesus came back with him with an action of the heart. This says, if you really want to go from point A to point B in your faith journey, if you really want to get from point A to point B, whatever that might be, what's the best thing that you can do? You can grow in love and grow in your understanding of loving God and then in turn, loving other people. So you mean, Pastor Jason, that the answer to spiritual growth is not just going and buying a huge commentary and taking a seminary class? All of those things are fine and well. I encourage you to do all of those things, but if you really want to grow deeper, don't think that knowledge alone is the answer. Don't think that knowledge alone is the answer. You see this here in your notes, but to grow deeper, to go deeper is to grow deep in love for God and love for others. To go deeper is to grow in love for God and others. That's what he told us was the greatest commandments. And why would we think that the greatest commandments would lead us to anything but true spiritual growth and true spiritual depthfulness? Let me ask you this. What's deeper than love? What can you do in your life right now that will take you deeper than seeking to love someone and seeking to love God and have an outpouring of that to love other people. I think about families here in the life of our church. There's families here in our church that are foster parents. And I think about what 
their opening um, of their heart and their home too. And that they love God so much that they say, we want to stand in the gap for other families that have gone through some really difficult scenarios and situations. I look across this very room, and I see people in this very room that have aligned their lives around helping and serving vulnerable populations of people. Some of you guys have aligned your finances where you will serve and you are giving to organizations that serve vulnerable people. Many of you have opened up your home for populations of people that are vulnerable. Many of you have committed your life to serving the homeless, have committed your life to serving those who have fallen up on hard times. Many of you guys are the very people who will go meet a need of a neighbor who is in need. You don't ever email us about that because you're humble. You don't ever say, I want a gold star for the things that I'm doing, but it's just oozing out of you because it's an overflow of God's love and it has an outpouring in your life. When I look at those people, I think to myself, those are some of the deepest people I know because they have allowed God's love to compel them to go and to give and to serve others. In my ministry, I've often heard this phrase, I wish we would just go deeper. Maybe you've even said that before. I've even heard people say sometimes, I wish we would just go a little bit deeper. And I think about the first 10 times that I heard the phrase, I really tried to understand where the person was coming from. And my solution was just, here's a book that will help you go deeper. Read this and you'll go a little bit deeper. But what I've come to realize is that most people, not everybody, but I think most people, when they say that phrase, what they're really asking for is more knowledge. And they're looking for more knowledge. And they equate knowledge with depth. Now, is knowledge bad? No. Should you seek to grow in the things of the Lord? Absolutely. Should you be a student of God's word every day? Please. Should you seek to grow in your understanding of who God is and what he's called you to do? Absolutely. But is knowledge alone all that you need to be a person who's growing deeper in faith? See, knowledge alone doesn't cut it. Because if we're not really careful, what will happen with knowledge is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We all possess knowledge, but what does knowledge do? Knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Have you noticed this in your life? That sometimes just knowledge alone can make you think a little bit better about yourself than you really should be? Or knowledge alone can make me think, you know what, I have something that nobody else has. Knowledge alone, if left to its own devices, can many times in our life puff us up. But yet, if we desire to be built up and to build other people up, then we will allow that knowledge to come and for it to have an outpouring. I see this all the time. People who walk around with a lot of knowledge, but they don't do anything with it. And there's no outpouring. And sometimes, you know what our life looks like when that's the choice that we make? Have you ever walked by a retention pond that wasn't properly set up? Where there's just water coming in, and whoever engineered it didn't engineer it correctly so that the nasty water is flowing out. There's some here in town. And you walk by them, and it stinks because it's just water coming in and nothing's going out. And it's not a beautiful aroma. It's a stinky aroma. Be really careful that you're not a spiritually overweight Christian. Because I think what happens sometimes is we can become so spiritually overweight that we can get so much knowledge that doesn't have any output. And it doesn't have any serving. It doesn't have any loving others. And instead of the aroma of Christ being what comes off of us, sometimes it's the stinkiness 
that comes off of us. And Jesus says, friends, there's a better way. There's a better way. So grow in love and allow that love to have an outpouring in your life. Now, all of those actions, they take energy and they take time and they take dedication. Rarely will you ever grow in love, both for love for God and love for other people. Rarely will that ever happen without a significant investment on your part. It's going to take time and it's going to take energy and it's going to take you aligning your life around those things. But if I really want this, if I want to be more and more like Jesus, then I think I'll grow in love for him and love for others. Now, along those categories, let me tell you, let me be the first to tell you, I do not have all this figured out. I am not a poster child for this. I don't have it all figured out. Why? Because people are involved, right? It's easy to talk about loving people when you're not with people, right? Some of you guys right now are thinking, you know what, I really, I'm praying right now. I really want to love the team that God has brought with me to work. You know, my job, I really want to love that team. And you guys are all fired up right now on Sunday morning. And then Monday morning, there's your team. And then you begin praying, okay, God, maybe I will love another team. You know, if you bring me another team of people, maybe I, I, I would love them. And we laugh and it's in jest, but you get it. That when people get involved is sometimes what really forces us to, to see if we really believe that this is the most important commandment. But in essence, what Jesus is saying is that all of us, our soul, our mind, our strength, our body, that it's all committed to him. What does that mean? It means our mind, that every thought, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, it means that our emotions, every part of our feelings are in love with God and in love with other people, that our minds, every thought in my mind is taken captive so that it's a thought of love. All of my soul, meaning all of my being, meaning nothing about me is not consumed with seeking to grow in love for God and love for others. And this is so huge. This is so significantly huge because it's not just a self-help talk. Jesus actually says that this is the reason that the world will know who you belong to. Maybe you guys might be familiar with John 13, 35. You're going to see it up here on the screen. By this, everyone will know that my, you are my disciples if you what? Say it aloud with me. Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jason, give me the bottom line. What's the bottom line here? How will the world really know that God loves them and that God has an incredible plan for their life? If there was only a verse of Scripture that would answer that question for us, Jesus said, I gave you the answer. By this, everybody will know that you are a follower of Jesus if you love one another. He didn't say that the world was going to know who we belong to based on our ability to win arguments. He didn't say that our world will know who we belong to based on me having more knowledge than you, or that the world will know who we belong to based on how adept I am at talking louder than you and having more points in my message than you are able to have. No, that's not at all what he said. He said the world will know based on how well you love. You see this here on your notes, but I think that we tend to make loving people much more complicated than Jesus did. Think about it. We tend to make loving people much more complicated than Jesus Christ himself did. I resonate with this so much because I'm really good at overcomplicating things. Some of you are as well. We can take the simplest request and we can overcomplicate it. We can take the most simple um, task and make it not very simple. This happens to us sometimes at our house. I'll be at work and my wife will send me a text 
And the text will say something like, can you pick up some eggs on the way home from work? Because I want to make brownies tonight. Absolutely. I can always stop and buy eggs if brownies are in the future. I mean, if brownies are in the future, yes, I will most definitely, happily, joyfully, strengthening our marriage, stop and buy eggs. So I stop and buy eggs. And then I'm realizing, okay, this is for brownies. And so then I'm thinking, well, you know, it'd be really good with brownies is ice cream. And so then I meander over to the frozen food section and I pick up ice cream because, I mean, who wants a brownie without ice cream? And then I'm walking through the frozen food section and what is glaring at me right there in the freezer section? Cool Whip. So at this point, brownies, now have, they're hot, they're coming out of the oven, I put ice cream on it, they're melting, and now I've been Cool Whip on it. And at this point, I have gone into full brownie a la mode, which means I have to go to the front of the store to get a shopping cart because I get to get maraschino cherries and hot fudge sundae and all of the fixing, all the sprinkles, whatnot. Now, ladies, keep in mind, if you ask us to do that, we are helping you out. You ask us for a favor, and we did it. You said, can you stop and buy me eggs? We did buy eggs. We bought $37 worth of other things as well, but that is beside the point. Don't lose the fact that we bought eggs. See, what Jesus is saying, though, Jesus is saying, I want you to love people, period. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make people behave a certain way to make them worthy of you loving them. Don't make people conform to every way that you think about every situation to really say that there's somebody who's worthy of loving. Some of us think that we don't have any room to grow in this. And maybe you're here, though, and you say, you know what, I do have some room to grow in this. And if you're here and you have no room to grow in this, then I hope that you will encourage the rest of us who do. Because what the Bible tells us is that gives us some defining characteristics of love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 is probably one of the clearest chapters in the Bible about what really defines love. And it says that love is what? Patient. That love is kind. That it is not envy. That it is not boast. That it is not proud. That for me to grow in love means that I'm being more patient and I'm being more kind and I'm not being envious. It's not boasting. It's not proud. Is there anybody that would have enough courage in the room today by a physical show of hands to say, uh, I need to grow in patience? Keep your hands up. Anybody that says I need to grow in kindness? If you get two hands, go ahead and put them up. Put a foot up in the air if you want to. Anybody that says I need to, to not be jealous about what's happening in other people's lives? And I struggle with that. See, keep your hands up. Look around. What I want you to realize is that you're a work in progress and everybody else is as well. Now, for those of you that didn't raise your hands, please pray for the rest of us. <laughs> please, in your quiet time tomorrow morning, pray for the rest of us that have room to grow and that still have room to grow in terms of being a person who loves more. Jesus didn't complicate matters. In fact, in some of the most um, intense situations that you and I would probably struggle to really show love, Jesus showed us that model. John chapter 8, verse 11, there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, which was against the law, and stoning was the punishment for that. And all of the townspeople come together. She has committed this terrible act, and so they all come together and say, we're going to stone her for what she has done. And Jesus comes, and Jesus says, feel free to stone the woman caught in the act of adultery if you have no sin in your life. So feel free to step on up. Step on up and condemn her if you have done nothing wrong in your own life. And one by one, what started happening? The stones started falling. And what did Jesus say? He went and looked her in the eyes, and he says, where are all of your condemners? And she says, they're gone. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. 
go leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you then. I have a better way for you. I have a holy plan for your life. It's not this, so please leave that life and turn from it. How about this one, Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Did you catch the spiritual elite here again? The Pharisees, they say, why would he eat with sinners? See, eating with a sinner was way too complicated for their liking. They didn't want to be seen in public with someone who wasn't as religiously elite as they were. It was too complicated. And Jesus says, I'm eating with them because they are sick. What is their sickness? Their sickness was sin. And Jesus said, I came to give them life. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that God gave his one and only son so that you and I could have life. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross, took up on the cross for the very people who nailed him to the cross and said, I have a life for you. And then three days later, he burst forth from the grave, conquered death once and for all. And as we talked about last week, in one of his last teachings here on earth, he called his disciples together. He called us. If you're a follower of Christ, he called you together and he gave you, gave you a commission. And he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, the most loving thing that we can do for someone else is to show them God's love and to remind them that God loves them and that God has an incredible plan for their life. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Write this down. God is love. It's the simplest message that could ever be spoken today. But yet a message that we sometimes overcomplicate. God is love. Remember, God is love. It is who he is. It's not just some characteristic of God. Is it at the heart of who he is? He loves you. And he loves you in spite of the mistakes that you have made. He loves you no matter how many errors you have have, have made. He is your foundation, and he is what our love for others is built upon. He is love, and without love, what Scripture says is that I don't know God. So is there such a thing as an unloving Christian? Is there such a thing as a follower of Christ who's not a loving person? I don't have to answer that question because Scripture already answered it for us, that we can't profess to have faith in Jesus Christ and not be a person who's seeking and growing in love for others. Why? Because he is love. So when we ask you to take steps of growing or steps of ministering or steps of faith, whatever the case might be, what we're actually asking you to do is to take a step towards God's love and to understand his love and to seek to share that love with everybody that you come in contact with. Have you noticed in your life how many of us, self-included, have tried? You've tried to muster up like maybe enough forgiveness to forgive somebody else who's hurt you. And you've tried to do that in your own power. Or maybe somebody has said something um, 
that's the, that was not, was not what you needed to hear, or maybe it was rude, or whatever the case might be, or maybe there was an action that was against you, and you've tried your whole life to muster up the courage within your own physical body and mind, apart from God. You've tried in your own mind to find forgiveness or to offer forgiveness. How effective have you been in your own power forgiving somebody who's hurt you? Probably not very. But when you realize what God has done for you, then you realize, you know what, I can forgive you for what you did to hurt me, or I can forgive you for that thing that happened. Because see, we can't find it within ourselves to offer what only God can offer. Some of you are here this morning and Maybe God's got you here today. Maybe it's not by accident that all that you're here because the reason he had you here is because he wants you to experience freedom in this area. Because you've been relying on your own strength for far too long to offer something that only he can do. Or you've been trying so long in your life to get this feeling that you know it's only God who can bring that to you. Allow him to bring that freedom to you. And then lastly, I believe this with all of my heart, love leads to my life being more about others and less about me. I really grow in love. I think love leads to my life being more about others than about me. It's why ministering and serving is so vitally important. It's why this core value of ministry is one that we hang our hat upon. It's why we want you to serve as a greeter. It's why if you're here at Rolling Hills and you're new to Rolling Hills, know that one of the things that we want to see happen in your life sooner than anything else is we want to start seeing you have an output. To not just come and be, but to be close to him and serve others, to give of your resources, to give of your time. It's why we want you to serve in student ministry. It's why we want you to serve with preschoolers. It's why we want you to be involved with what God is doing in the world, because love leads to my life being more about others than about me. Have you noticed this in your own life, that when I'm busy meeting the needs of others, I really just don't even have time (laughs) to think about how terrible my situation is or about how much I'm lacking or whatever the case might be. So I pray that you'll be catapulted into that area. Look at 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truths. I'm pretty sure that these verses don't need anything added to them. How can the love of God be in a person who only loves with words, but not with actions? See, you are to follow Jesus' example. You are to lay down your life for your other brothers and sisters. If I have something that can help you, and I see you in need, my hope and my prayer is that I will be moved to compassion, to help. It's a direct correlation to the love of God being in me. So I don't know about you. I don't know where you are this morning, but I don't want to just love in words alone. It's easy to love in words. It's an entirely different story to say, you know what, I want to love in words, but I want to love in action and deed as well. So my encouragement to you this morning as we wrap up is don't overcomplicate what Jesus made abundantly clear. When he was asked, what is the most important thing that you can do with your life? He said the greatest thing that you can do is to grow in this relationship and allow that to overflow into a love for others, a serving of others. And friends, I do not need to remind you that the world needs that now more than ever. The world needs to know that God loved them, that God loves them. 
The world needs to see Jesus in us because it is by that love that they will know that we are his disciples, that we are not living our life just for ourselves. So my hope and my prayer is that all of us will lock arms and we'll go do that today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for a time to be together. Thank you for these greatest commandments that you map out for us in your word. And I pray, God, that we would truly live according to them. I pray, God, that our lives today would not be about us, but that they would be all about you. I pray that you would make us men and women who do not um, live for ourselves, do not serve um, to be seen, that don't seek knowledge just to be puffed up, but that all of that would have an outflow of growing in our relationship with you and growing more and more in love with people to meet their needs, to serve them, to guide them, to help them, and ultimately to point them to you. So thank you for what you have done, and thank you for the work that you have called us to do. I pray that we would do that to the best of our ability, and I'm so grateful again, Lord, for who you are. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. At this time, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, and as our ushers are coming forward, I want to take just a moment before they begin collecting any offering or communication cards, I want to take just a moment and say thank you. I want to say thank you for being a church that doesn't just love in word, but that loves in action and deed. When I look out across this room, I, I, see, um, I see people that represent um, ministry, and I see in this room servants, and I see people in this room that do so many things behind the scenes that I never even know about, but that take this ministry and keep it going and working and reaching people, I want to thank you for your generosity, truly. From the bottom of my heart, God has opened up a sea of generosity in the people who call Rolling Hills home, and that is not something that we as your pastors and as your leaders take for granted. We thank you for that. I thank you that you have trusted God with your most valuable resources, and all of those stories that we tell and all of those stories that we will tell, and isn't it fun to think about all the stories that will outlive us? The stories of ministry that will happen here in Nolensville and around the globe long after any of us are gone, at the center of all of those stories are people like you who are faithful. Thank you. Thank you for that faithfulness. It matters so significantly. And we just want you to know that we are cheering you on. As your pastor, as your friend, I am cheering you on as you seek to be men and women who say, you know what, I don't want to just love in word alone, but I want to love in word and action and deed. And this is an opportunity to do that, and I thank you for doing that. And just pray prayers of rich blessing over you and your life as you seek to be faithful to what it is that God has called you to do. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to trust you, to trust you with our, not only our most valuable resources, but to trust you with our time. I'm grateful, God, for who you are. I thank you for meeting us in this place, and I thank you for what you have done today. We just give the remainder of this time of worship together. We pray that you would heal our land. We pray that you would heal our hearts. And we pray that we would be on mission for you. And I pray that that would start right here and start right now. Thank you, God, for all that you have done. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.